Puerto Rico. Okay. A Puerto Rico. We in the building. They call me Jones, a.k.a. Jose Figueroa. All right, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, what's up? You dig? Everything's going on me. Shouts to my dude, Frank Collins, man. When you hear Puerto Rico, you know what to do, nigga. You dig? Fest like G Depp almost 20 years ago. I killed what equals on the set. It was me. Some of y'all not even born yet. Allow me to reintroduce Frankie Cutlass. Woo. Spanish Harlem. Think we got a problem. Uh. Retweet, post it in your blog, in your column. Yeah. No, it's not the piling. Blame it on the cush that Joel brought the kid from the bush. BK, what up? This the Bronx on the check in. X is up. Henny for your thoughts, get a cup. It's on me, dog. Whatever y'all sipping, like fresh San I'm with a bunch of Puerto Ricans. <laughs> name Julio, last name Ruiz. Yep. Chick thicker than Sugar Shane, new bitch. Call a giraffe, your bulls all neck. All I had to say was great goose on deck. That's it. Shorty too thick to be a model. Uh-huh. We named the Twitter, niggas wanna follow. Oh. Sipping Moscato, her baby daddy went ghost. Wow. So we call the kids Apollo. Fantastic episode. What is up, uh, podcast and family? It is I, K-Rod, here. I'm back at it with another good episode today. To recap on last week's uh, fights, in which I apologize that I wasn't able to get to because I've been busy. But, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of fights. Um, I'm only going to talk about the Devin Haney and George Cambosa's fight, because that was, like, the most interesting fight. Oh, and I'll cover Stefan Fulton and uh, David Morrell uh, after that, and then after that, we'll just uh, go right into talking about uh, the Edgar Berlanga fight on Puerto Rican Day Parade weekend that just happened last night with um, Alexis Angulo. Uh, That was a good fight, a decent fight. I was there. Um, for anybody that, um, like, uh, uh, for anybody that wanted to know, um, I had, uh, went to the fight with my father, um, it was a pretty decent fight, uh, the thing was with, um, Angulo was that, um, 
I mean, like, uh, the main event of itself was good, and the thing was, was just that, um, I had, like, a little bit of, you know, speculation criticism for it, but I'll get to that last when we talk about that soon, but I'm going to be talking about, um, Devin Haney and George Cambosos' undisputed, uh, fight, and then next will be the co-main event, uh, with, uh, David Morrell and, uh, um, who's that other guy? Um, I forgot his name. Um, Kelvin, uh, Calvin Henderson, and then Stefan Fulton versus Daniel Roman. And then we'll talk about a little bit of, of the undercard w with uh, some of the fights that I uh, saw from the Berlanga fight. And then, yeah, uh, I guess like we'll go from there. So, yeah, let's uh, talk about the Devin Haney um, Undisputed Showdown with uh, him and George Cambosos. Um, this was a very good fight. Um, I thought Devin Haney dominated George Cambosos like at least 10 rounds to 2. Or you could make an arguable case for um, 12 rounds to nothing. Because I didn't really see George Cambosos do much to really, you know, actually win. And um, I just saw it, like, just based off of, you know, the fight itself. Uh, Devin, he just looked like, you know, but the more, uh, like, uh, decisive, like, uh, like, um, uh, like, he looked like the more decisive fighter that just had, like, the more uh, disruptive style for Cambosos to not figure out. And Cambosos, you know, he got supremely outclassed, and uh, that's really how the fight really went down. And I have to give credit to Devin, because Devin really wanted this fight for quite a long time, in which, honestly, like, you know, to anybody that wants to be realistic, him and Teofima Lopez, like, uh, should have fought each other for um, Undisputed. Um already uh by a time when Teofimo had defeated uh Vasil Lomachenko back in uh 2020 and I just think based off of you know the level of duckery that has been happening in the lightweight division it's just very disgraceful because the lightweight division is booming in talent and it's really turning into like a hotbed of massive mega fights you know for all the big fights ranging from Devin versus Gervonta Tank Davis, in which I'll actually add him, you know, another topic with, um, you know, him and Tank potentially fighting uh, for, you know, a uh, mega fight uh, by the WBA wanting to mandate the fight. Um, I'll, uh, like, uh, chime in on that after I talk about the Devin Haney Cambosos, and after that, I'll talk about that, and then I'll head into to cool boy stuff and then and then um david uh like uh, david morell but um i just think uh devin haney he just did such a great job to the point where cambosos he could not do anything to beat him and i just think based off of like what we've seen from devin's you know recent performances every single opponent that he's fought was battle tested and ready and that got devin ready to dominate uh, Cambosos. Um, the only thing that I'm a little bit concerned about Devin is just that he's not active enough with his, uh, one-two, uh, combinations, and if he has multi-punch combinations used more, he could easily score rounds a lot faster, but I think that the reason why he didn't want to do that with Cambosos is that he usually, um, ends up being very technical, 
with his shots when he sees great opportunities. But knowing that this fight was in Australia and the judging is like a like like even though that the judges were pretty messed up with uh, giving some weird ass like you know scorecards. Uh, Devin probably didn't want to take out the risk of trying to work more shots because uh, the referee like um, definitely would have like uh, done something shady to try to like uh, give Cambosos you know let the point deduction you know uh, gift you know against uh, Devin if he started landing more shots to the body to which I actually wanted to see that from Devin but I think what the problem was with Devin was just that. Uh, Devin, he just wasn't wanting to take that risk because he knew what Cambosos would do if Devin were to, like, let his hands go more. But I don't think that would have been, like, a big issue because he was, he was doing a good job. He was, he was, like, he was controlling the pace and distance. And, um, uh, the biggest issue is just that with Cambosos, he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do. Because he throws punches and bunches, you know, similar to like a Manny Pacquiao-ish type of style. And Devin, you know, he basically dominated him. So, you know, the fight itself was very, uh, how should I say, it was very um, competitive. Oh, wait, hold on. Alright, yeah. But yeah, uh, the fight itself was extremely competitive to the point where Devin was doing his thing. But Cambosos, he was supremely outclassed to the point where Devin, he just displayed his masterclass boxing, you know, tactics. And and that's something that I have to give him credit for because, you know, you cannot tell me that Devin is a boring fighter. The reason why these people call him boring is because he's able to make the, like, uh, make the fighter's style, you know, ordinary to the point where you can't figure him out. He's just too good to the point where... You cannot offset him. And when Devin has his pressure shots landed on you, um, um, it's actually calculated shots where he's not trying to land anything hard and flush. Like those are good, you know, hyper stinging shots to gain the to gain the um, respect out of your like opponent to basically notify them to tell them, hey, look, I got hands too, uh, to which I can hurt you. But um, you're not going to come in here to think that you're going to dog walk me and try to knock me out. Because everybody calls Devin Haney uh, uh, pillow fisted. But how is he pillow fisted when he's been able to push back every single one of his opponents with a jab? And, you know, even in his most toughest fights with uh, Jorge Linares and Jojo Diaz and um, who else? Uh, I would probably say that's about it. But. Devin Haney has done everything correctly. He has power, but the problem is is that he's obviously not fighting at his true natural weight cuz 135 it, it like you know it like um um is a weight class in which he is actually coming down in weight, but I think based off of you know the the recent performances of what he's been doing at 135, he's still able to hurt people. It's just that He's not trying to go in there to try to knock somebody out. Granted, when he does get a little bit too uh, selfish with his, um, you know, inside the pocket fighting, he tends to leave himself a little bit wide open where he can get clipped. But I don't think that's too much of a problem anyway, because Devin, he's doing, yeah, he's doing his job to just go in there and just basically win. 
So I mean, Devin, Devin to me, he's doing he's doing a a phenomenal job to win fights. But to say that he doesn't have power, he's pillow fisted, that's all bullshit. Because power does not need like uh, does not mean you have to have knockouts, you know, under your resume. You could be like the most um how should I say? Uh like um you could be like the most purest purest form boxer, but if you don't have like one shot deadly power, but you have like the power to keep your keep like uh, keep your opponents um off of you to the point where you can hurt them late game, then that's good respectable power. But Deadly power would obviously be like Gervonta Davis, like uh, Deontay Wilder type, uh, like a like a type of like a power. So the only biggest issue out of the whole mathematical equation is that Devin did what did what he had to do, like any other true champion would, to go in there and try to win the fight. But even though the, that the judges were definitely going to do some shady shit to try to make it seem like Cambosos had a close fight in with Devin, which those scorecards were absolutely horrendous. Um, I don't even know, like, what they were off the top of my head, but I heard, like, 116 to 112, and um, um, it was just absolutely stupid. But, like, uh, for shit like that, you know, uh, that bothers me very uh, much, and um, I didn't like that out of uh, uh, the uh, judging. Uh, the judging was horrible. They did a very, very bad job, and um, I think, honestly, Devin, uh, like, like obviously needs to understand that there's a lot more risk going to another country when you are trying to fight somebody um, overseas, but if you are dominating, you know, the judging, and you are doing what you have to do to win, then I don't blame him, because Devin is trying to win the fight. And I think like, the biggest issue is just that he's not really able to do the things that he wants uh, of like uh, like um to do. So either way, like I give him I give him all the credibility. You know he has um um he has uh, dominated George Cambosos Jr. to become um, undisputed, and he did a good job. I'm actually proud of him, and. Honestly, that fight is very comparable to a Jack Johnson, uh, Tommy Burns uh, type of uh, victory. So, hopefully, uh, Devin can continue to reign undisputed in other divisions. And let me uh, chime in on the situation between him and Gervonta Tank Davis. Uh, see now, there's many different obstacles that Devin could go for. Because everybody says that, you know, he should you know, uh, try to go for a fight with uh, Tank Davis and uh, potentially maybe go for, like, a fight with um, uh, Vasil Hitek uh, um, Lomachenko, in which I don't see that fight happening. I, I personally do see that fight not really being made, and I think that's simply due to the fact that Lomachenko, he's still going through his uh, political issue, you know, down in, in the um, Ukraine. So I don't see that happening at all. And I think that's what's going to probably be the result of him not having his um, uh, big fight opportunities for, for Devin on, on top rank. Because obviously he is like signed to a multi-fight deal on top rank. But that's not limited to the fact that he has to fa face top rank fighters. You know, like if Devin really wants to make those fights, he can easily 
find a way to opt out of fighting like a top-ranked fighter that Bob Aaron wants to put him up there with. But I think there are some good fights off of top rank that uh, that um, we could easily see Devin in. Um, I don't think 135 should be the final goal for him to just stay there and just keep defending his titles. But from what I heard with uh, the WBA wanting to mandate him and uh, Gervonta Tank Davis, um, I just don't think that's a right move because if George Cambosis is trying to exercise, you know, the rematch clause to fight uh, Devin, then I think what's going to happen is that the WBA, they're going to do the same thing like they did to Josh uh, Taylor, where he needed to defend it. Um, he needed to defend his WBA mandatory in Alberto Cuello. But, you know, for those of you that don't know, the WBA uh, regular 140-pound champion, if I'm not mistaken, is um, Alberto Puello. Uh I could be wrong on that, but basically, in that same um, breath, the WBA uh, had basically went into this weird, you know, conundrum of trying to mandate fights that we do want to see, but the problem with them is that they're not being consistent with their belts, and they have this weird mantra to believe that there needs to be two champions out of the same sanction and body belt, that being the super champion, which was, you know, primarily made for Lennox uh, Lewis at the time frame. So that way he could chase four undisputed at that time frame because Lennox Lewis did not want to fight his mandatories. And that was at the whole point of not fighting your mandatories. He didn't want to fight them. You can, you know, apply to become a super champion if you had became unified, which was a very good idea. But the problem was, is that the WBA was not being consistent with that. So then they decided to create like, the regular champion belt and then create the stupid ass, you know, WBA gold, um, um, excuse like my French, but um, like basically the WBA was just pulling off like another WBC tactic. And I just think honestly, just based off of like what the WBA was doing from day one, it was just horrible business, like, you know, marketing tactics. And um, that's just not really good business. I think, honestly, the WBA could have done things a little bit better. But either way, like I'm against sanctioned bodies. I don't, I don't see the need of sanctioned bodies being uh, being um, in existence because it's like, look, compared to any other sport, you know, NBA basketball players they don't have to pay sanctioned fees when they win like a championship. But it's like it's so stupid to the point where you really think that you have to like like basically waste your hard-earned money for fees that you should have kept in the first place so it's like the money's not going anywhere but to the pockets of the promoters and the commissions and whoever's working behind closed doors and boxing and it's just pretty stupid to me because it's like you're not really helping nobody you're actually just making it worse for the next person that wants to win a title and for every like like for each and every single sanction body fee at uh, like coming out of your purse that's like three percent per per sanction per sanction sanctioning body belt so on top of that you obviously get you know um extorted you know by the state and the state will come after you for that and uh the whole uh premise uh, behind that is that 
Like, you know, like you really don't make all this big money, you know, when you win all these belts. So that's why prize fighting is actually pretty uh, bad when you're trying to go for belts. But if you're going for the, like, you know, for the opportunity to try to win a title, but then after that, like, you know, like you want to, like, uh, vacate, then that's perfectly fine because, you know, Foy Mayweather did that, like, you know, particular idea mindset and... He managed to show the blueprint of cheating against sanctioned bodies to say you don't need to have a belt to become successful because a lot of fighters really do think like when you get let the belt you get let the bag but that's not true you know Devin Haney uh, he was like reported to like having to pay like three hundred and sixty thousand dollars like for his uh, sanctioning uh, like a uh, sanctioning fees. Uh, for all four of his belts and then every time when he makes a title defense he also gets you know tax on top of that so he's probably losing like up to, like you know upwards to at least you know two to three million dollars you know for all those belts but that's obviously dependent on how much money you know that the fight's being sold for for him you know fighting somebody but it's just like think about it you're being screwed over to the point where you're not having let the um how should I say, you're not having like, the most freedom to do the things that you want to do. So it's like you don't have like like um, um, any of that money to yourself for you to spend it. And I just find that to be absolutely stupid. And I mean, that's just me, though. But I just think like if I'm in that position, uh, I personally wouldn't want to do that. And I personally would, you know, become my own promotional stable to get away from that. But either way, if sanctioned bodies weren't there in the first place, Devin Haney would have easily been making more money. And, you know, any other fighter that's on the come up, they would be keeping most of their money. Because, you know, don't forget, you know, when you, like, you know, obviously become ranked, you have to pay sanction fees. Um, a lot of people actually don't um, understand that. But it's like, that's what's been happening with these sanctioned bodies. They have, like, uh, like uh, they basically make you pay these, you know, ridiculous sanction fees just for you to be ranked. And then on top of that, you're getting extorted by, like, you know, by, like, you know, like, uh, by the state for taxes that is basically going back to the state for all the money that you earn when you do become a champion. And it's just, like, uh, pretty stupid to me. Like, I just don't, I just don't find that to be a very smart tactic. And obviously, you know, that's like a different socioeconomic uh, political conversation to be had. But um, either way, uh, boxing definitely needs to have sanctioned bodies taken out because it's not helping the fighters like Devin Haney make those big money fights. And Devin, you know, he said in the past that, you know, he wants guys like Gervonta Tank Davis or like, you know, a guy like Vasil Lomachenko or maybe Shakur Stevenson. That could be a very big fight down the line. But I don't think him and Shakur are going to fight each other just simply because Shakur, you know, he's like a weight class, you know, below Devin. And I can easily see Devin, like, not fighting him because Devin's just going to basically go his own path. He's going to, like, like um, he's going to eventually move up to 130. And I don't see him progressing to the level of which we want to see him, you know, uh, get these big fights in. But for a Shakur Stevenson, for um, like uh, for everybody's you know interest, I don't think that fight's gonna happen. But 
I mean, hey, like if Top Rank wants to make that fight next, I'm all for it. It's just that Shakur Stevenson has, you know, some work to do at 130. And I think uh, his main focus is primarily set on on becoming undisputed at 130. If everything goes well. But I very well could be wrong on that. But either way, uh, hopefully um, Shakur and Devin, they can fight each other sometime in the future. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what what will happen in the near future. But uh, let's talk about the different main event cards that happen uh, over in Minnesota with uh, Stefan uh, Coolboy Fulton or Coolboy Steph, uh, Stefan Fulton. Um, he did a very, very good job against Daniel Roman. But before I get to that, uh, let me also talk about David Morrell versus um, Calvin Henderson. Because this was a very, very good fight, and I really um, um, appreciated watching this fight. The biggest criticism that I have with David Morrell is that um, his progression with Ronnie Shields is perfect, but I think he needs to get in there with some veteran-level opposition that's in the top 50 or top 25 that's you know, there, and I think eventually, you know, he's going to start doing things a lot bigger, because, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's only, like, what, 24 or 23 years old, but he's progressing extremely well, and I think that's a very, very good sign for David Morrell's case to, you know, get up there to have a WBA uh, regular belt in which people won't consider that to be a championship title. But in the case of what the WBA is doing with their consolidation, as of now, that's considered to be a actual title. So <laughs> I don't know. But either way, uh, I will credit Morrell's success of having that title. Because if you say to me that you're Dennis Ugas became a WBA regular champion, uh, after beating uh, Abel Ramos for the WBA um, interim title. And then Ugas gets elevated to super after Manny Pacquiao didn't want to honor defending his title against any of the top 10 ranked fighters, knowing that he's been out of the ring for like two plus years. Then you can't say the WBA regular isn't a title. You know, that's supposed to be the title for the next champion up to face the WBA Super, in which I wouldn't mind that if you're going to make an argument to say sanctioned bodies should exist for that. But then on top of that, it, like, you know, like, like at the end of the day, it should just be one champion. It shouldn't need to be two champions, no. It should just be one belt per sanctioned body. But I would rather just keep it to just one belt, one face, one name. So, you know, the argumentation for sanctioned bodies is pretty, you know, ridiculous. And it doesn't really help anybody's case to say that, you know, you're going to get any better with getting more money with these big fights because the sanction bodies are, are, are going to find ways to prevent big fights that they know that the promoters that are in cahoots with them to basically give them fights that, you know, that would make what the most sense to politically move a fighter, but... In the case of David Morrell, I don't, I don't see him really, you know, going backwards. He, he, he does, he does, he does, uh, he does say he wants to fight um, David Benavides, 
in which he's been very, very disrespectful. Well, I wouldn't say disrespectfully, but he's been aggressively vocal towards David Benavides. And I will say, I definitely like the trash talk, but can you back it up in the ring? And that's the biggest problem with David Morrell. Morrell hasn't been in those veteran level style fights yet. And we've yet to see the best out of him. And I think David Morrell, he has a damn good style. He's a southpaw. He's 24 years old, 7-0 with 6 knockouts, 85% knockout ratio, 78-inch uh, um, arm reach, or 78.5-inch arm reach, 6 foot one, and he's out of Cuba, or Cuba. Uh, some people say Cuba, but <laughs> same thing, but yeah. David David's a good-ass fighter, man. I, I like David. Um, I got a lot of love for the Cuban boxing fan base. And um, I, I, I really, I really like how he's really coming up. Um, I think, I think he's definitely there, and I think he just needs to, you know, basically do what he needs uh, to do. So, I'm definitely rooting for him. I like to see him face uh, maybe some other high-level uh, veteran-style names. I want to see him face a guy like Carlos Gungora. Or maybe a Larone Richards. Um, you know, he's not the IBO champion, but uh, that's like a matchroom fight. So I'm not, I'm not too sure what's going to happen with him. But I think, uh, you know, he like um, he can easily get up there. I'm not, I'm not too sure. I think, I think honestly, the best fights for David Morrell before he gets in there with the David Benavides and maybe like a Demetrius Andre. In which I think Andrade should be the next step. I I I think David David Morrell should go after Demetrius Andrade. Cause why? If you beat Andrade, you quote unquote are next to next in line to go for the belt that Canelo has for the WBO. And which obviously we don't know how you know this whole belt situation that Canelo has at 168 is gonna hold up. Cause if he like. Honestly, I'm going to be supremely pissed if Canelo holds up all these belts. And these guys are waiting for their turn to get their mandatory title shot. And they're never going to get it until Canelo leaves. That's going to piss me off a lot. But if, but if Canelo does that shit, it's like, like, honestly, to me, that's really, really messed up. Because you're really going to hold, like, all these fighters' opportunities to get their opportunity to try to win a title it's like like you know like you can't be doing that you know like a uh, canelo canelo either needs to vacate or he needs to defend his belts to any of to any of his top top rank mandatories that are coming up soon you know demetrius andrade's gonna face zach parker um I, i'm not too sure when that's that fight's gonna happen um it's been well almost uh, like 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 well well over almost a year since Demetrius Andrade has fought, uh, he's fought since back in uh, November of 2021, and I don't like that. Uh, that's not uh, that's not a good sign. It's almost closest close to you know fall time, even though summer has started. Knowing that it's June 12th, but still, it's like I want to see Demetrius Andrade back in the ring soon. He was supposed to fight Zach Parker like a couple weeks back, but. Unfortunately, he got injured, so 
maybe he's trying to like re like uh, like uh, renegotiate the date so that way we'll get to see Andre back in action because I want to see him you know get like you know get a title at 168. I think Andre could very well be that man for David David Benavides and David Morrell to fight to fight each other. But if not, I think a fight with Caleb Plant or Jesse Hart. Those would be the biggest fights for David Morrell. If he can, um, if he can knock off any of these guys, those are going to be very, very difficult fights. But they're also going to be very, very good stylistic matchups. So I think Caleb Plant would be a good stepping stone. But obviously, we need to see what he's going to do. He said he's going to be back, like uh, back in the summer. But knowing that it's already been like like seven to eight plus months since he lost to Canelo. Um, I'm not I'm not liking the level of ring activity or ring inactivity. So maybe go for any guys like a like like a Shane Mosley Jr. or just fight like you know like you know like a good difficult style matchup. Like I wouldn't mind a fight with Christian and Billy. I think I think that would be a beautiful fight. You know, Christian he's a come forward you know, walk-you-down type of fighter. He's a good French fighter um, out of France, but I think he's originally Cameroonian, so he's a good African, you know, f like a, f like a, f a French-based fighter. So, uh, very, very, very good fighter. I think I think his uh, route to getting to the title is going to be very interesting, even though he got the WBC Continental um, Americas uh, title. So I'm I'm pretty sure he's probably going to be moved pretty well to get his shot for, for the WBC route. But if not, uh, I wouldn't mind going for a fight with uh, Anthony Sims Jr., Isaiah Steen, in which I felt like Isaiah Steen, um, he should have fought David Morrell because he beat Calvin Henderson uh, in a very good competitive unanimous decision victory on all three scorecards. But um, Calvin Henderson, for some weird reason, he gets a title shot to fight David Morrell, which made no sense whatsoever. And uh, he um, he didn't earn that shot to fight him. So I'm not I'm not too sure if that was like a last minute replacement or that was like a fight that David Morrell's team wanted to choose for like a voluntary defense, so that way he can have like the opportunity to showcase his his skills and talents, but. Uh, I just didn't like that fight because Calvin Henderson, you know, he got stopped on some controversial stuff, but he was getting pounded pretty bad. So David Morrell, he he was going in there to knock him out. So that usually makes a lot of sense for a fighter like him to go out there and do what he needed to do. But I mean, there's like really not that many big names for David Morrell to fight. Uh, I. I, like honestly, like I said, like I wouldn't mind anybody um, in the top ten because he says he wants all the champions uh, in his post-fight um, interview. In which I find it weird how his energy kind of switched up when he was talking all you know very like aggressive towards David Benavides, and then surprisingly he kind of just backed off away from it as if like that like you know that fight ain't gonna happen. And then, surprisingly, his trainer, Ronnie Shields, came out saying that that fight's not going to be next on our list anytime soon. And I wouldn't call that to be a duck, if anybody wants to call that to be a duck. 
But I will say that that fight is more to be a, like, keep that fight later in the future type of fight. Because it's a fight that David can be ready for. But with only, like, 7 plus fights or 8 plus fights, yeah, um, he's 7 and 0. Oh, but... I think I think give it give it like a, another like three to four more fights. I think David he'll be ready. He'll like he'll definitely be ready for David Benavidez within a year or so. But as of now, just keep building, bro. You know, like I'm proud of you. You know, like I'm happy that Dave, David Morrell he has a massive fan base in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he's doing his thing, man. You know, he came like he literally came from nothing to get to this you know level. You know, he started uh, his pro career back in 2019 out of, um, um, back in August uh, 31st. And then leading into now, he's just been whipping on a lot of good, decent level opposition. He fought, like, you know, he, um, he fought some good, de decent level guys. I would, I would say his best win would be Alantis Fox in the Lennox Allen fight, in which Lennox Allen, he was undefeated. In which a lot of people sleep on him because they say that Lennox Allen, he's not that good. And even though he got knocked out in his last fight, even though that win would probably, you know, age well, surprisingly. But, yeah, Lennox Allen, like, leading up to the David Morrell fight, he was good at that one point in time. But I would probably say ever since then, he kind of just took a year off out of nowhere. And then he gets knocked out and... Kazakhstan by some weird dude named Idos Yerbo Sulali Lola. Yeah, I don't I don't know who he is, but that's not a good look on that resume victory. But uh the Calvin Henderson victory, that's a decent victory, but the Alantas Fox victory, that's a good victory because not to say he's brothers with Michael Fox that got robbed by um uh, Gabriel Maestre, the Venezuelan dude that tried to cheat him and then got a gifted decision over him or a robbery decision over him. Uh, that wasn't like, the type of fight where uh, David Morrell was going to have an easy outing with. And, um, you know, Al um, Alantis Fox, you know, he's a very, very good, high-level, you know, pure boxer. And I think that's the... Like, you know, that's the biggest thing out of him. He, you know, he knows, you know, like, he knows, like, what he's doing, you know, to be there. So, uh, I think, like, I think David Morrell, his his skill level of, of, of who he's fighting competition-wise, it's slowly increasing. So, um, I'm very happy for him for doing that. And I think uh, eventually it's going to just keep getting better. And I think eventually, you know, like, we're going to see bigger and better things. So, uh, to close out on this topic, I think David Morrell should just keep on building up. You know, you're going to get more rounds in because, you know, he's fighting like 12 rounders, but he's like, like you know, um, he's pretty much stopped almost every single um, opponent except for Lennox Allen. So, I think, I think he just needs to get like a, like a, um, he needs to get the rounds in because uh, once he gets the rounds in more, He's going to start washing a lot of these dudes. So I think uh, David Morrell, he's on his way to, to success. Now let's talk about the Stefan Fulton fight. Uh, this fight, I was a little bit uh, surprised. But I thought Stefan Fulton, he got like um, he got into a little bit of trouble with um, Daniel Roman. I thought, I thought Daniel Roman, you know, 
he like he like like he did his thing, but Stefan Fulton made this fight a lot more difficult than it really was. And I think the biggest issue is that with Stefan Fulton, um he was really put to the level of which uh the um how should I say the fight itself looked like it was going to be a wash in which it was but it was a good fight and the, like you know what the problem was is just that um like like Fulton Fulton was not boxing more than he should have and he was just making this fight a lot more difficult or harder than it was and I thought honestly I thought I thought honestly you know, cool boy, cool boy just made it, you know, look really, really bad. You know, like, I didn't, like, like, I personally didn't like that out of him. I thought, I thought cool boy could have done a lot better. And I would rate his performance like a B minus, at least a B. He could have, he could have done way better and made, made the fight very, very easy for you to just, you know, dominate your opponent on, on the outside and making everything very, very simple. And he could have done that, but the but the biggest problem was just that he was he was too focused fighting inside the pocket, and I just don't understand like why he did that. So I don't know, man. I think I think honestly, man, uh, go back to the drawing board. This was a very very good skill builder fight. Um, it was the type of fight in which I was happy that Cool Boy he uh, he managed to give this opportunity to. Daniel Roman, because Daniel Roman was not supposed to really fight him, because Roman, when he was at the champion, he didn't want to give, you know, Stefan Fulton his, his opportunity when he had, you know, the unified titles, you know, like, um, like, um, under his, like, um, under his, um, hands, so Cool Boy was basically ratted out for, the, like, you know, for the opportunity, but Cool Boy decided to fight him, and give him, you know, the opportunity. So, therefore, you know, he can keep his belts. But it's like, at the same token, it's like, you know, Daniel, Daniel Roman should have, like, like um, he should have been a man of his word. You know, he should have given Cool Boy the opportunity to get that fight in with him. And then Cool Boy would have been a champion a lot earlier in his career. Because him fighting for the vacant belt or... Well, no, I want to say the vacant, but when he fought for the WBO belt against Angel, yeah, Angelo Leo, it was a good, yeah, it was a good fight, but that fight was really not supposed to happen because Angelo Leo, he, like, arguably, he was really never supposed to be a champion. He just really got with the belt off of a good, you know, sturdy um, opponent. And I'll take a look at the box rec here, but it's like, you know, the thing is, is that Fulton. He's fought literally a, a consecutive amount of one, two, three, four, five, six. Wait, hold on. One, two, three, four, five. He fought five straight undefeated fighters within the course of two years. Within two years, he, he has defeated five undefeated fighters. He knocked out, like, like, yeah, yeah, um, he, yeah, yeah, he basically fought, uh, who else? Oh, wait, 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 sorry, sorry. So, wait, one, two, three, four, yeah, like, uh, within 2019, leading up to 
2021, he fought four undefeated fighters. And then, leading up to, um, uh, I'm not too sure about, like, all the other fights, but, yeah, I mean, Fulton, Fulton's, Fulton's, like, like, career has been very, very stellar. Because you fought four consecutive, yeah, one, two, three, four, yeah, four consecutive undefeated fighters. And you did your thing, you know? You beat Angelo Leo, the guy who had defeated, um, whatchamacallit, um, he beat, uh, Tremaine Williams, who was a very good fighter himself, for the WBO Super Bantamweight title, and that was a good fight, but, um, ever since then, uh, he, you know, lost to Fulton, and then he beat Aaron Alameda, that was back in June of, wow, man, like, dude, Angelo Leo, um, he gotta be more active, man, because I don't, because I don't like these fighters, like, taking a, taking a, taking a whole year off, it's like, you know, that's, like, not good for your boxing skills, and that's definitely not good for your health, because you're not, you know, putting yourself back in there in the ring, or, like, I would say that's not good for your skills, like, obviously, you know, you'll be healed up, you know, very well in a year, but, yeah, I would, I would definitely say, uh, for, you know, for the sake of, Fulton's, you know, level of competition, he, he's just been, you know, he's just been blowing, blowing through, um, a lot of these dudes, you know, he fought four consecutive undefeated fighters, he said that he fought eight undefeated fighters, but I think he's saying, like, as far as, like, the level of opposition, like, I mean, his, his, his best wins is his last three fights, uh, the rest of them were really, like, nothing except for the Joshua Greer fight, which was a four-round decision, and that was a good fight, but ever since then, uh, he's just, like, um, he's just been doing his thing. Obviously, uh, people, people want to see the Nioa Inoue fight. Um, I think, I think that's a good fight to have. Uh, the problem that I have with it is that Nioa Inoue, he's gonna make up, you know, like, um, whatever type of weird excuses to say, oh, well, the fight needs to be in Japan, and he needs to come over here, nah, man, you gotta come over here if you wanna get that smoke with Cool Boy, and I think what's gonna happen is that, uh, Cool Boy, he's gonna try pushing for the fight between him and, um, MJ, uh, Mer, Mer yeah, uh, his name is Murrow Dijon Akhmandaliev, so, if he could, um, if he could fight him, if he's successful against his tough mandatory against Ronnie Rios, that's going to be a good-ass fight by the end of the year, or possibly, uh, I'm not even too sure. I mean, MJ, yeah, MJ's fighting in two weeks. I know that for a fact. He's on the Jesse Bam Bam Rodriguez, you know, undercard, where he's going to fight a very tough tough fighter in Syracuse, Serangvisai. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think that's going to be a very good barn burner fight. And I can't wait for that. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that fight. Uh, but yeah, other than that, Cool Boy, he's on the good path, man. He's like like you know, he's just been basically on a massive hot streak. He's just been whipping on every single fighter, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he will do in the near future. Now let's move forward from that fight card over to the Edgar Berlanga fight card. Um. I wasn't really too impressed with this fight card. I mean, there were some good fights here. I will give shout-outs to certain fighters that I do give my credibility, or I, I do give credibility for. So, 
I'll give my shout-outs to uh, Miss uh, Queen, Christina Cruz. Uh, she's a good fighter. She rematched uh, Mary Quinn Valinga. Uh, that was the first fight on the card. Um, uh, she uh, she did very well. I definitely give her her props and her roses. But uh, the biggest issue that I have with Christina is that she really came into boxing very late. And if this is a Christina Cruz that came into boxing like like, during the years when she was winning Golden Gloves, like, you know, in her early teens to, like, early 20s, I'd be like, oh, yeah, she she would, she would like, she would have been taking girls out to school, and she would have been doing everything right, but I, I would say ever since then, leading up to now, because she's been so focused on that amateur pedigree, to which I don't understand why so many people make that weird argument to say, like, amateurs equals you being good in the pros, and at the end of the day, no, it doesn't. Like, there's plenty of professionals that have done very well with little to no amateur experience, i.e. Deontay Walder, but still, um, we could even say Dwight, you know, Mah uh, Muhammad Kwai, he, like, he was, he was extremely good, and, uh, I'll even use Matthew Saad Muhammad, that's, you know, that's another good throwback fighter, in which I'm probably gonna do some videos on him, or I'm gonna, you know, do like a fighter review on, or a fighter historic review on Matthew Saad. Yeah, 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 Matthew Saad um, um, Muhammad. But on top of that, like, I would also like to do a fighter breakdown on Charlie Burley, because he was a damn good fighter back in the day, too, where he fought at middleweight, and he was, uh, yeah, he, he was good. He uh, ended his career pretty well. Um, he was the former middleweight champion of the world. I forgot what he did back in the day, but he fought some pretty good guys. I mean, you know, this is obviously leading back in, like, the 1930s. Like, back in, like, 1936, leading up to, like, the 1950s or 40s. So, uh, yeah, uh, um, um, he's a pretty decent fighter. Uh, don't, don't understand, like, what happened with his world title runs. Uh... I would assume he had 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 some championships, but I could be I could be wrong. So, you know, correct me on that for any of you boxing historians that are listening in. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for Christina Cruz's case, um, she is a very very good fighter. She has a very good throwback style. Very very um, how should I say? She has, like, a very, like, long, long, like, fighting style of fighting, like, a Paul Williams type of fighter. Doesn't have too much pop in her punches. Um, I think, honestly, even if she had fought, fought, fought pro a lot sooner in her younger days, she, she would definitely be giving girls, you know, about the business. But I think just based off of, like, how she's just been doing her thing, um, I don't really see that the see that the level of competition like being easier for her. I really think like like her toughest fights all together. If you were to give me five opponents, the toughest fights will be Kenya Enriquez, um, Gabriela Celesta um, um, Alanos. I've heard about her. She yeah she can she can she can make some noise. She can make she can make some damn noise. Um, Maybe Maria Salina. She 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 is like literally a good ass fighter. She's 
like like uh, despite her her controversial fights that she's had with uh pretty much like all world championship level fighters if not most of them but she's a good fighter you know she you know she definitely earned earn, like she definitely earned her stripes back in back on back in her you know early days but i think that's a fight between her and christina in which i would personally like to see that like uh like um um i would like to see that fight uh christina cruz versus uh, uh maria salinas uh i think maria salinas gives her a lot of problems a lot of difficult puzzles to solve kenny and Enrique is a very very beautiful amazing fighter much love, much love to the queen Kenya um, Enriquez, good fighter, five foot three, sixty four and a half inch arm reach at a Tijuana, Baja California, Mexico. Same thing with uh, Maria Salinas, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think she's out of Mexico too, but she's out of Satilo. Uh, Satilo. Uh, that kind of sounds like saying that. <laughs> Satilo sounds like. Like uh, like um, it sounds like saying like 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 a saltine cracker, <laughs> like you know, like an actual cracker. <laughs> yeah, but that's pretty funny. Like I don't understand some of these Mexican cities, but like a good portion of them are like either just like you know, uh, they're obviously like you know like a modernized mixed in with like American cities because like Mexicali and like you know Tijuana, Baja California. <laughs> Yeah, like I mean, if any Mexicans are here and like, please, like you know, please educate me on that. Like, I, uh, like I like to know. But yeah, I think um, Kenya Enriquez gives her a lot of problematic uh, issues. Arelli Muncino, that's a damn good fight. I think Arelli would definitely have the ability to stop her, if not give her some really hardship hardship uh, problems. But that's a good style matchup. Um, Maybe a fight in with uh, Sulem Urbina. I think I think Sulem would have a pretty, you know, easy outing against Christina. But she could very well get hurt because she's proven that she can definitely get outclassed pretty bad. And she hasn't been on the winning column. Like, to which she should have won the fight between her and uh, Naoko Fu uh, like, uh, Fujioka. That's that Japanese lady that just recently fought Marlon to unify the IBF and WBC titles, so not too sure where Marlon's going to be in the future. But I think Marlon, is, yeah, yeah, I think Marlon Esparza would give Christina some, you know, difficult issues. But also, I like, I also even think um, a fight with Ava Knight, if she comes back um, into the mix, she can, she could easily bring a lot of upsets to a lot of ladies. People, you know, obviously don't think of it like that, but. I think I think um, it, it, if she's back on her you know um, original grind as she once was because obviously uh, she had some personal issues that had held her back very very much but I would like to see her back uh, she's obviously been out of the ring for uh, well over a year so I'm not too sure where Ava is you know mentally and physically but I hope everything's you know okay and well with her. And uh, much respect to her because she's a very, very hard-working woman in and out of, you know, the ring and boxing. So, uh, credit to Ava Knight. Um, but other than that, there's really no other names that I see on here. Uh, I think Christina can beat Ebef Zamora Silva. She's a very short lady. And, and, I mean, Christina, she's like, what, like five foot three? Oh, no, she's five foot five. So, she, 
she got some pretty good height up against some of these girls. So, <laughs> I mean, like, most of these women are, like, at least on average, like, five foot three or five two. So, I mean, it's not, like, you know, like the biggest height for female fighters, but... Yeah, I like I'm not I'm not too sure what's gonna happen with uh with Miss Um uh, uh Christina Cruz. I think I think Christina will have some pretty good outings with some big names, so I think Christina will do her thing. And I think Christina she will be victorious in, in some of these big fights. I just you know, I personally don't think it's going to be easy because she's like, you know, she's on the worse end of thirty nine leading into 40 years old, and I personally don't want to see her in, in boxing for that much longer. Like, I don't I don't like seeing older women stay in boxing for that long, but if you can prove it to me to say that you're able to win all these fights convincingly and you're ready for, like, a title shot within, like, you know, 8 to 10 fights, then, you know, look, I'm all for it, but it's just like, you know, I care about a lot of the fighters that I support personally, and I don't want to see them be put in worser positions where you know they're going up against like you know high level killers but i think for the state of her division she can she can easily make noise it's just that she just needs to like be in there with them and i think like you know if she's going to be moved fast uh i i like i would say the time is now because you know like you don't want to be like fighting women that you know you can beat and then that's just going to build up like your record fast and I don't really like that. I like I, I find that to be a really bad, you know, business move as far as where you want to be. But if she wants to just stay busy and stay active, by all means go for it, you know? But if she wants to go after all the high quality veteran level names, I'd say start with um a top fifty and then work your way up. Uh definitely start with a woman that has like ten plus fights or higher. And then if she's able to blow through all those names, she could easily be right there to a title shot. And then I'd say after that, go after Marlon Esparza or wherever she chooses, you know, to go. But um, I definitely, you know, give a lot of love and respect to her because she's a very, very good fighter. And um, I've uh, seen her, like, you know, uh, progress very high, you know, at the amateur level, you know, when I was younger watching amateur boxing here and there but um i definitely would have liked to have seen her go pro like a lot sooner because i think like now like you know like it just doesn't make her imagery look good because she stayed in the amateurs for too long and some people will try to hype off of that and i don't like that you know like i like to see professional fighters start young and i think that's a very very good sign to do because you have more traction and on top of that, you have more youth to take all the punishment, and you don't have to go through all that, you know, um, all that vigorous training that, you know, that wears your body out, because obviously when you're older, you have a lot more, uh, you know, deficiencies that could potentially get you hurt or injured. So, I'm not too sure what's going to happen, but I hope Christina can be back in, back, back in the ring soon. And I wish her nothing but the best, and all my, you know, um, affectionate support goes out to her. So, s salute to Christina, the Hell's Kitchen Kid, Cruz, uh, the Puerto Rican sensation. But, um, yeah, let's talk about uh, Freeman Gonzalez. I was very, very interested in this fight. 
had a very good tough opponent. Uh, looked like he was a Mexican, if I'm not mistaken. But very good fight. Uh, Refugio uh, Montalano, good fighter. Nothing too special. Uh, he didn't really have too much of a good, you know, uh, start to boxing. Um, you know, he like he was supposed to go pro back in 2020, back in November. So I want to say this guy. He, like, like, you know, um, he was just starting out, honestly. Like, it doesn't seem like he doesn't have too much of a high-level amateur background. But either way, you know, he's a good, decent fighter. Uh, it's just that I'm not really so fond of, like, some of these guys that top rank just gets gets off of what the streets or just get out of anywhere just to put them on a card and then you just give them, like, cutthroat money where like they're just taking whatever fights that they can get and i just think like that's just pretty stupid like i don't i don't like that because that can easily hurt a fighter's career where you where you're gonna just like put a fighter in there with like some young killer and he could very well give him problems or he could very well end up stopping him but either way that's why that i like seeing 50 50 matchups if you're gonna put young fighters up against each other in their careers but Freebian did a thing. He uh, dominated, uh, you know, Montalano, and that was a good fight. Uh, like to see him back in the ring as soon as possible. I say within like, the next two months. I think that's a good time frame window, and I'm happy for him because you know his last outing was with Brian Lua, and that was a very tough nip and tuck fight in which some people could say that was a draw, but Brian Lua. He's a good-ass fighter, man. 24 years old right now. Hasn't been in the ring for quite some time since uh, June. And it's like, like it literally marks an official year since he fought Freevian. So, don't know what's going on with Brian. I think he has some personal issues outside of boxing. But I'm hoping he can be back in boxing soon. Because he's a good-ass fighter. It's just that, you know, what the... But the win over Freevian Gonzalez is, is aging well because Freevian is like back on track and he's doing what he has to do to do good in the sport and he has a good ass style man he like he's not stupid he's very intelligent um, he know he like like he knows what's going on in the ring and I think that's a very good veteran like type of style that's gonna develop into becoming a world championship level fighting style. But he's a good um, orthodox type of fighter. But he can switch it up to Southpaw. He does have like a little bit of a, you know, Jerron NSE type of movement. So it's not like switching it up while he's punching. But he does switch it up when he sees a good opportunity to either go Southpaw or, or back to orthodox to, uh, to solidify a bigger shot to win the fight. But... He's a good ass fighter. Uh, definitely, definitely take a look at him. He's he's very very intelligent, and he's in the lightweight division. For those of you that don't know, and obviously for Christina Cruz, she's in the junior flyweight division, or the flyweight division. I'm not too sure what division, but I would say the flyweight. That's 111 pounds. So, I think I think her like you know her ceiling is going to be tougher at flyweight rather than junior flyweight, but. That's subject to change, because I like to see her face, Sinesia Estrada. <laughs> yeah, much love to Sinesia. But, <laughs> but nah, Freebian Gonzalez, man, he's a very good high-level talent. 
and uh, I definitely like watching him fight. Um, uh, there's a lot of big names at the lightweight division, and a lot of fights that I like to see him be in there with is with a lot of good names because there are there are a lot of good dangerous level opposition names that he could go after and uh i think uh there's definitely a lot of good names here in the lightweight division that we could see because um if he really wants to go that fast I wouldn't want to put him in there with Keyshawn Davis yet. I think he could beat Keyshawn Davis because he has a good style to hurt him. But if like if you really want to go to like, the level of veteran veteran level, uh, I wouldn't mind a fight between him and um, this uh, one dude, Diego Tor Torres Nunez. He's a he's a good Mexican fighter, 24 years old, out of Zopapan, Jalisco, Mex uh, like the uh, Jalisco, Me uh, Mexico. Um, He's a good fighter. I uh, like his style. He definitely has an aggressive type of come forward style, but I think um, Freevian's going to end up facing him in the future. Um, I also want to mind seeing a fight between him and Nahir Albright. I think Nahir Albright, he's going to be a very, very difficult matchup for a lot of dudes. And I'm not only just saying that, just because I think, like, based off of how he's been fighting ever since the Jermaine Ortiz loss is going to make him better it's just that he like you know he's getting better so <clears throat> i think that's going to be a good fight down the line starlin castillo i want to see that fight really really bad i think him and starlin castillo that's going to be a good difficult style matchup and starlin castillo he has great skills um he obviously lost to um otar um Aranazon, but you know that was a uni that was a unanimous decision uh, loss, but then he came back uh, back from the Dominican Republic, got a good six round, or he got a first round knockout victory in a six round fight over some two and eight dude. But um, um, he's doing good, you know. He's back on his winning ways, you know. He's just getting back back in shape and making sure he's back on back on top. But that's a good fight for. Mr. Freevian Gonzalez, if he wants to, you know, step up with the gas a little bit higher with the competition, uh, I think that's a good fight. I wouldn't mind a fight with Ruben Torres. That's a fight that that should be held later on in the future. He's a heavy hitter, five foot eleven, very very big, stocky, lightweight. But I think that's a good fight to see him, to see him in the mix. Um, there's just so much talent that we haven't seen before. Raymond Marataya and his brother. Oh, dude. Like, uh, the Marataya brothers are just extremely talented. But Raymond, he's a, yeah, he's a beast. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. He's not no hype job. He keeps himself disciplined and he has a good career after boxing. I think he's like a preschool teacher. But even though being a teacher doesn't grant you you know, all the best money, but it's still decent money to say the least, but yeah, um, it's still, it's still like a good progressive type of builder to, uh, just go after those type of names, but Freevian, there's a lot of good names for him, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing who he's gonna face, because, oh my god, I, I wouldn't mind to see a fight with maybe Keith Hunter, Michael Hunter's brother, in which Keith Hunter, I think he's a 
super lightweight because he looks more of a super lightweight rather than a 135 pounder. I don't I don't think 135 would be his best bet, but I don't know why they would try to list him as a lightweight on box rec, but hey, go after him. Take him out. But I think Keith Hunter, he's on he's on the better side of trying to get up to a world title. And uh um after his uh good victory over Demarius Driver, who was an undefeated fighter, uh that was a very, very good victory. Very good, sturdy test for him as well. And I think he's going to be a good fighter too. But I wouldn't mind that fight. Go after him. Go after Demarius Driver. <laughs> there's plenty of, like, there's so much, there's so many names for Freeman to go after. I'm just so excited to see where he's going to go. I want to see him fight Carlos Balderas. Oh my God, that's a, that's a perfect, that's a perfect style matchup. Like, not like not now, but later on in the future, Car you know, Carlos Carlos can easily lose that fight. But like you know, um, if you guys saw the fight between him and Ruben Severa, that was a very very good fight, and I was proud of Ruben. I like I don't even know who this guy is. He's out of Colombia. He's a 24 year old dude, five foot eight, 69 inch arm reach. He's a good ass fighter. Like he can he can really box his ass off, but. He just needs to work on a couple things, and, you know, he's uh, back on his track of doing his thing. He just needs to just get back in the gym and just work on the fundamentals. But, yeah, Freebian's career is beautiful. I can't wait to see what's going to happen for him, and I'm excited for him. But let's move forward with uh, the rest of the fights. I'm going to skim right through them. Omar Rosario fought Julio Rosa. Good, sturdy opponent. I like Julio's style. Omar, you know, had a bit of troubles with him. Cruise him to a six-round decision. Very, very good fight. Definitely like to see him back as soon as possible. Uh, he's a very, very good fighter. Don't sleep on him. He's uh, moved and promoted, if I'm not mistaken, by Miguel Cota Promotions, along with uh, Mr. Uh, Henry Mocho Lebron and Carlos Caraballo. Like, I mean, Miguel Cotto, he has so... like. Like, like, literally, like, I will, I will definitely say Miguel Cotto, he's making big moves. He has a lot of good talent where a lot of these fighters, um, they're definitely ready to swim in the big fish. And I think, uh, eventually we're going to see that very, very soon. But Omar Rosario, he's a very, very good, highly, highly talented rookie, you know, in the game. But definitely check him out. He's a 140-pounder and, uh... I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he's going to do of what he's planning on, you know, accomplishing. But, um, yeah, let's talk about Orlando Capo Gonzalez. He, uh, TKO'd this one dude, Pablo Cruz, uh, wasn't really too much of a big win. Uh, it was a good, decent victory, but, uh, yeah, that was a good comeback fight for him to just be back on the board. And, uh... I think I think uh, Kapu, you know where he's gonna be in his career. I think um, he's definitely on the right path. Um, I'd like to see him fight some heavy heavy loaded names. He's already in his like nineteenth or eighteenth bout that he completed, or nineteenth bout, yeah, nineteenth fight that he had completed. So I would say with a victory over this guy, um, go after any top 100 guy. Uh, there's some really good names here. Uh, I like to see a fight with um, Emilio Sanchez, um, Alan Solis, um, 
Who else? Jorge Santana Ogando. I've heard about him. He's had some good names on his resume. Um, who else? Uh, I mean, there's like plenty of good tough names here, but I don't really see like like any of these guys being too much of a problem for him. Um, I think like the biggest fight to make uh, next would try to go after a fight with uh, Malik Montgomery or Dennis Contreras or Cesar Juarez, which he's a good decent fighter. Um, you know, obviously he lost to TJ Doheny, but I don't. Yeah, like I probably want to just keep away from him. I don't. I don't think that's a good marketability fight. Martino Jules, I like to see that fight. That's a good ass fight. I think. I think he could beat him. Um, even though he got two knockouts, but yeah, go after him. T take him out of the picture. Um, yeah, I mean, there's really not that many good names here. I mean, anybody in the top fifty. Uh, if we want to be honest, I think Kapu would beat Raymond Ford. I think Raymond Ford would lose to him. Um, maybe go after Jordan Gill. Take take him out of take him out of the picture or knock out Adam Lopez. I'd like to see that fight. You know, be be eliminated. I think he can beat Adam Lopez. Um, I didn't think Adam Lopez won that fight against William Encarnacion. That's that black Dominican dude. That uh, got the corner stoppage loss with uh, um, Abraham Nova, who's fighting this upcoming, you know, next weekend. Shout out to Abraham Nova. But, uh, yeah, uh, good fights overall. I mean, you know, I think Orlando, he just needs to just keep it, keep it productive and just uh, keep getting better. I think uh, he's on his way to bigger and better things. And I'm proud of him because, you know, he's definitely doing, you know, what the right path to, you know, to becoming a champion. And I think uh, his uh, pathway is pretty high. Um, but, yeah, good victory. And off to the next fight, uh, Armani Alamasteca versus Alicia Villalobos. This is a good fight. Armani Alamasteca, um, he's a good young fighter out of um, Orlando, Florida. Um, I think he was... Uh, born out of Orlando, or he was from Puerto Rico, and then he moved out to Orlando, but he's a good fighter, uh, I actually took a picture with him, he's a pretty short kid, I'm not gonna lie though, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, like, you know, he's a really, really, you know, good, talented fighter, and I'm proud of him, uh, he definitely did his thing, and, uh, you know, he made a bigger improvements, uh, the Luis Valentin fight, he was fighting a bit reckless. I didn't like that out of him. I thought thought that was like really dumb out of him. But he made the adjustments and he started boxing beautifully. Fought fought that Mexican dude who was like a little bit taller than him. He had longer arms than him. But that was a good fight. That was a extremely difficult test. And uh <laughs> I was very, very happy that he switched it up and he started getting better and fought more educated in that fight. But I like to see more of that out of him in the future, and I think he will definitely get up to world title level contention soon. But I wouldn't say try to go with top rank. I think his his ceiling is better to go with like the PBC because I could easily see the titles being uh, vacated by Devon, and then whoever's going to be the mandatory for for either of those belts, um, it's probably going to be. Frank Martin on the come up, Gervonta Tank Davis, who will probably try to elevate to be a super champion and then unify, but 
like, see, like, the whole deal with the WBA situation is that if all these belts do vacate and then there's consolidation, then, you know, don't, like, you know, don't be surprised when you start seeing all these high-level, you know, contenders go up there and then they start battling for the belts and it's just going to be like 154. It's just going to be a whole bunch of commotion of belts just being traded off and I think I think that's going to be fun and very interesting because there's going to be a lot of, you know, surprising fights where, you know, you thought this guy was going to win and he actually gets knocked out by the opposing fighter that no one thought, you know, that um, he could win. But, yeah, um, Armani, very, very good, highly talented rookie. like to see him back in the ring sometime in September or August. But very good six-round KO over Villalobos. Uh, now the next fight, this is very, very, uh, shocking. Well, it wasn't shocking, but it was very disappointing. But Jose Vargas, he got knocked out by Dakota Linger. Uh, not really that good of a fighter himself. Uh, I actually took, took a picture with him, and I kind of told him, like, about the whole deal of Josue's, you know, mistakes. But, you know, Dakota, he's really nothing special. I don't, I don't see anything interesting out of him. And I think Dakota, he has skills, but the problem with him is that he just throws a like he throws a lot of wild ass punches, hoping that something can stick. But it's like it's not like you know it's not gonna go anywhere. I don't I don't see anything getting any better with him. So I think um, the biggest issue with him is just that he lacks the boxing you know ring IQ, and he lacks the ability to set his shots up because if he knew how to do that um i think i think he would have stopped josue a lot more convincingly but josue uh you know he went in there and he fought a really dumb fight once again and uh he uh, basically got clipped with something that was really really bad to the point where you know he wasn't able to do the things that he wanted to do and uh yeah it was just such a terrible fight because Josue made the fight a lot more losable by trying to trade with a guy who's not really known to knock people out. I mean, I think it was just like a good lucky punch that Dakota just landed. I mean, granted, he has nine knockouts, so he has a 42% knockout ratio. But it's like, out of these knockouts, it's like, they're just mostly, yeah, it, it, like a good portion of them are just referee stoppages. So it's not... Yeah, like, like his power is not really that, you know, how should I say? His power is not, you know, intimidating to anybody that 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 wants to fight him. So, I don't think Dakota's a heavy-handed guy. And I think Dakota, he could very well get stopped. Um, he's fought some decent-level opposition. Uh, his biggest, you know, credible, you know, fights where he ended up getting stopped was against... Danielito Zarila, who was undefeated at the time and still undefeated now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, he's actually going to fight Arnold Barbosa Jr. Oh, my God. Man, I got to make a fight. Oh, I have to do a fight prediction on that. That is going to be a good-ass fight. Danielito Zarila versus Arnold Barbosa Jr. Ooh, that is a, that's a barn burner fight. That's on July 15th, baby. Let's go. Oh, my God. But, yeah, um, he lost to him. He got knocked out really bad. Uh, got knocked out by Brandon Lee not too long ago, back in 2020. That was two years ago. But 
Ever since then, he got a draw with Matthew Gonzalez. Um, he's definitely getting better, but he's not, like, like, like how should I say, Dakota is not the promising fighter that people will try to come out there and try to say, oh, man, look at Dakota. He's going in there, taking everybody out, blah, blah, blah. No, I don't. I don't see that out of him. Like, good, you beat a guy in Josue Vargas, which Vargas, he was supposed to blow this dude out because this is supposed to be more of a showcase fight. But sadly, it wasn't. And this is, like, the second time he's been stopped. But I think, honestly, the damage he took from Jose Zapata really broke him a certain type of way where he's not able to hold up his chin. And uh, I think I think it's not good for him. I could be wrong, but I think it's just like he needs to like really think about you know the level of opposition he's facing in the future because it's not because it's not gonna be like you know any better for him. I think I think Josue Vargas you know he can he, he like he can make he can make a good statement to to beat beat quality level names at 140 and become a champion. That's if he's able to, but I don't see that out of him because it's like if you don't have the power to hurt your opponents and to keep them keep them um, up and off of you, I think it's best to just hang it up and you know just focus on other stuff, bro. You know, like 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 boxing. Boxing's a tremendous sport, I will say, and I am pretty sure for most of the fighters that do listen. Or for people that know other people that get into boxing, it's very hard to get away from the sport that you love, that you grew up into, because you want to become the best in the world, but it's so hard to do if you don't have the physical attributes to do the things that you want to do. So I think, honestly, if Josue had a chin and, and he had power, he would have stopped Jose Zapata and he would have stopped Dakota Linger. But I just think, honestly, like, you know... Just, just, just based off of his physical, his physical punch resistance, it's just not good. I don't, I don't like to see him take more damage, and I'm saying that just, just out of tough love, man. You know, I, I, I like you as a fighter, and I like you as a person. Like, 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 not in a, you know, homo way. Like, not like I'm just saying, like, you know, at a pure, you know, respectful, you know, um, support. I, I would like to see you do better things outside of boxing and I think he could still make a bigger impact in the sport by working you know in boxing you know through promotional management or to help out other fighters in which you can easily do that but I think uh, as of now um, I don't like I don't want to see him go any further I just think honestly like there's just really not that much to really see out of him I just think uh Joe Sway, you know, he has, like, a better life after boxing. But, hey, uh, if he wants to continue, all, all glory to him. But I think he needs to get rid of his father. His father's just just a crappy-ass trainer trying to scream in front of him, trying to say, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, like, like you didn't use any defense, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, but it's just, like, the heart of the moment. Like, when you get hit, it's, like, that's hard to, like, really, like, listen to that when you're hurt and you can't hear and you can't do the things that you want to do. So it's like, that's really disrespectful from his father to just downgrade his own son. But I think Josue, he needs to just fire, like, like um, he needs to just leave his dad, you know. Leave your dad, find, find, a, find a pure boxing trainer that works on your defense and works on your ring IQ. Because he can do it. 
he can he can he can get up there. It's just that he needs to stop thinking he's like a Mike Tyson at 140, where he could take all the punishment. And I don't like to see that because I I don't think that's a good idea. So I don't know where he goes from here, but it's gonna be interesting to see how that unfolds. But moving forward, Victor Santian, tough Dominican dude, beat Carlos Carabao. This is a very difficult fight to call, but I thought Carlos, you know, even though I was there at the fight, I thought Carlos could have won that fight or he was actually going to get a maybe a draw. But I thought I thought this was a good fight, you know, in which respectfully he lost this fight because Carlos, he's a good-ass fighter, but it's like I, I, I think top rank was putting him up with a tough-level opposition to the point where you know, he's uh, basically being tested early. Well, I wouldn't even say early, but he's being tested now with, like, decent-level opposition or tough-level opposition where to see where his ceiling is. And I think uh, for him to have, you know, not back-to-back -back losses, but, you know, a loss here and then a loss there. I mean, I don't I don't see the losses really breaking Carlos. I Like, I, I, I see Carlos actually getting better. Um, as he's progressing, so I think um, I think Carlos he's a good he's a good fighter, and um, I think uh, you know that the biggest issue with him is just like he just needs to get that more um, he needs to get more rounds in he needs to like he needs to start being more um, effective and more active with his shots uh, with guys that have high 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 volume amounts of pressure, but. I think Carlos he could do well. It's not it's not the end of the world. Um, he should have he should have like he should have won his fight against Jonas Sultan, but he obviously got dropped in that fight and that wasn't good. He got dropped like three times in that fight or four times. But Carlos Carlos he can he could definitely do well. He could definitely make you know he could definitely make the fight like he could definitely make every fight close. But I think uh, based off of what we're seeing. Uh, top top rank is definitely matching this guy up difficult, and I think that's mainly due to the fact that they want to see Carlos, you know, be put in in a position where they could either find a way to just try to get rid of him, or they're just basically measuring his uh, skill level. But I think in his next fight, he's probably gonna face another tough guy, or he's gonna face a guy where you know, like uh, where the style is like closer to his skill level. And then I think Carlos he'll like you know he'll like he'll come back up and he'll do his thing. So I hope Carlos can you know come back from this and you know I could see more you know improvements from him. But I think he's a good ass fighter. I think he's gonna make some uh to um I think he's gonna make some noise. Uh, definitely a lot of tough difficult names in the division. But uh yeah let's talk about uh the second to last two fights. Um, Henry Moncho LeBron versus Luis LeBron. I thought Henry Moncho like could have lost this fight um, with uh, Luis, you know LeBron. I thought Luis uh, LeBron he was a good aggressive fighter that gave Henry Moncho some business in the pocket. But other than that, uh, I don't, I don't really see um, you know that much. Uh, how should I say, vital um, aggression from from Henry. But I think Henry, he could uh, he can easily like you know do some damage at 130. But 
the fact that this fight was an eight rounder for uh for like a semi belt or or some weird secondary WBO belt, uh, I wasn't really too fond of that. So I'm not I'm not too sure how I sit well with that, but I think that was pretty dumb and pretty pretty stupid. But but either way, um, I think uh, based off of what we want to see, um, I think uh, it's gonna be interesting. I think I think uh, Henry he's gonna be good, and I think he's going to do the things that he wants to do, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. So want to see what's gonna happen in the future. But let's talk about Edgar Berlanga, and then I'll get out of here. Uh, Edgar Berlanga versus Alexis Angulo. This is a very very good fight. Um, well it well to me I thought it wasn't a good fight because Berlanga looked boring, but <clears throat> Berlanga <coughs> he definitely made improvements. He definitely made Angulo miss a lot. And Angulo, you know, he's known to be a power puncher, so Angulo was able to display the distance and do the things that he wanted to do. So I was definitely looking forward to seeing Berlanga be tested with some heavy shots. And surprisingly, um, he took the shots very, very well. So I think um, I think Berlanga, uh, he's a good fighter. And I think, um, you know... He definitely has a lot of work to do. Um, I think he really needs to just go back to boxing and just, you know, focus on just being successful on his boxing ability. But I think he could easily be some top-level names if he works on his boxing skills. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much it, man. Like, I mean, Berlanga, you know, he definitely, you know, needed to be a little bit more aggressive off of his jab. And he could easily do, you know, do all do all the things that, he wants uh, to do, and then I think uh, eventually, like we'll start to see him knock out some of the top level names. But you know, he has a lot of growing up to do. So uh, I wouldn't say like give it like another like a year or so he'll be ready for a title. But say like within two years he'll be yeah he'll be ready. But that's subject to change if he's actually getting better. And then you know we want to see him in there with all the best names. So I think I think Berlanga he. He has a good promising future, but knowing that this is his fourth fight um, in a row where he's gone the full distance, uh, I just find that really surprising. So, you know, either way, like I'm not, like I'm not too sure of like how that's gonna work out. So, either way, uh, congratulations to him. You know, it wasn't like the performance that he wanted to do because obviously in the Steve Rolls fight, he fought way worse. He fought like he was too scared. And he wasn't making any proper adjustments, but I really did think that fight wasn't really improving him. But uh, the Angulo fight looked like he was now boxing, and now it's like he he's he's now reverting back to his old style that he used to have back 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 in the amateurs. So yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, just wanted to keep it nice and short and cut and sweet. Uh, hopefully, we get to see Berlanga in the big fights. So. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I'll definitely see you guys next week for the for the um, uh, Arthur Better Beer of Joe Smith Jr. Uh, fight card um, itself, where I'll give my takes on that. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Salute to the mighty, mighty LDBC. And this is K-Rod signing out. Bye.